Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 12 of the Laity Podcast. Really excited about this episode here. Uh, of course, got my uh, partner in the faith, uh, Stephen Dakota, as always, but also guest with us, Kurt Willems, live from Seattle. Kurt, how's it going, man? Good, good. Good to be with you guys. Really great to have you. We're uh, super stoked on you on you coming on. And for those of you who don't know Kurt, we'll of course have all of this in writing on the podcast. But Kurt is founding pastor uh, at Pangea Church, which is of course in Seattle. It's an, an from the Anabaptist tradition, which we're going to dive into. Uh, he's also got a serious online presence, and we'll put the big you know we'll put the formal plugs at the end. But but uh, Kurt is a, a podcaster. He's a blogger. Um, he's an academic. He's got the theology deal up and down like a lot of awesome stuff host of the pod of the paul cast host of a uh, rapture drill which is another podcast he does hands down my favorite christian podcast title so far Raps- that's like a good it. one like man. was that you original like did you come up with that one yeah yeah just anyway i yeah, love it that's amazing yeah <laughs> and uh so you have a blog also on, uh, that's hosted on patheos correct yeah i've had that since 2011 man it's been a long time yeah wow. yeah uh, the blog's uh, called the Pangea blog, um, yeah. and it's been there. It gets used when I have time, so it's kind of an off and on space. Sometimes it's on, and that means multiple times a week. Right now, it means every couple of weeks, maybe. Uh, but yeah, yeah, awesome. so we've got that. Yeah, and then also the, uh, the the kind of your your home base kind of landing page personally is the, the your theology curator page. Which yeah. how would you, how would you kind of sum up what what that is in terms of the goal and the and, and the resource. Yeah. So, so theology curator, I mean, that was born out of the realization that I wanted to do more than one podcast. And so how do I host all of them and not feel so scattered? Cause naturally I'm a scattered guy. You just named that. I have a pretty broad net of projects online and that's, it's true. My personality, yeah. you know, it's yeah. just <laughs> how I live in the world. And sometimes I have to slow down and be wise about it, but uh, so I was just discerning what that might look like and realized, Hey, if I am going to do another podcast and maybe down the road, invite others to do podcasts with me, you know, network makes more sense than anything. And so that's where theology curator started. And that was like a year and a half ago. So it's still really in the beta mode in my mind. I know it. it's been out there for a while, but it still has some things I need to work on, on the website itself. But, um, it's now really a space where I have some friends that'll write occasionally there. I'll throw some stuff. So like sometimes I'll choose to put something I've written on Theology Curator and not Pathios or vice versa. Um, eventually, I'm going to be offering hopefully a library of like resources, theological resources, spiritual formation resources, both text and video. Um, and so that's the direction I'm going. I've got a couple of ideas right now. Uh, you know, you mentioned rapture drill. I hope to take that, add a little bit of, uh, steroids and make a full blown video course for folks to dive deep into it. Yeah. So, so there's stuff like that that I'm wrestling with, uh, trying to use that space for, but we'll see, you know, I've got to, I've got to make sure that, uh, you know, Jesus family, local life stays central. So it's, uh, always a, juggling act to a point, but yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of what that's about. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think our, I've, I've, I've found, you know, I've, I've done some digging around theology curator and I really like kind of where things are going. It feels like it's, it's, uh, you, you're sort of just leading people to the different streams, you know, and yeah. kind of helping them, helping them just find little tributaries, little, little, uh, nooks and crannies they can slip their yeah. way into. And exactly. I, I, I love that. I oh, love it. Cool. Cool. And so Thanks. Kurt, maybe just for a way of intro for our listeners who who don't know you, even in terms of background. So, you know, we like when we have guests on, we like to talk a lot about folks background, what their tribe that they kind of grew up in came from, what some of that journey looked like. Obviously, you also have a strong connection academically. You went into school studying everything from, you know, Christianity, Greco, et cetera. I don't want to botch it, yeah. but tell me whatever uh, all that is and MDiv. Yeah. And so maybe walk us through some of your journey and then even into, yeah. you know, planting, planting uh Pangea when you did, and we'll just let you talk and we'll just be uh, intrigued. Uh, that's way too kind. Um, but yes, I can, I can say stuff. Uh, so, so yeah, so maybe I just kind of, I'll talk about sort of the ministry side and then how sure. the academic side flows into that. Sure. So I, right out of high school, I, in high school, actually felt a very strong call to pastoral ministry, uh, had a bit of a turnaround my summer between my junior 
my sophomore and junior year had a really just specific moment where it was clear that my life was changing, uh, that I was going to take this Jesus stuff kind of serious and, um, had a great youth group, had a great sort of environment that fostered that possibility. By the end of that summer, felt a very strong call to ministry in a very clear way. I, and what, what tradition was that in? Was it, were you Anabaptist and your, your family Anabaptist yeah. roots? Or? Yeah. So technically, yes. Experientially, no. So what I mean by that is um, I grew up in a Mennonite brethren context, but the Mennonite brethren would use the language of evangelical Anabaptist. I would say, and this isn't critical, it's just more of an assessment, that for the most part, the Mennonite brethren in North America are much more evangelical than than they are Anabaptist in a lot of ways. Um, now, that is debatable to a point, but yeah, and so I would say my upbringing felt much more evangelical than anything else. Uh, I was not, you know, a pacifist or some of these things we'll talk about, you know, when I was young. I actually thought that was all silly, weird. Can't believe people before us thought that stuff. Uh, yeah. So, so that my journey really just started in your sort of middle of the road, evangelical Republican stuff, you know, all that political stuff that comes with that. And it wasn't, hear me on this. Like it actually wasn't bad. Uh, right. People I know now had it bad. I didn't have it bad. I just had a very narrow picture of what this stuff was. And, and were you based in Washington? Did you grow up in Washington? No, I grew up in central California. So near Fresno, that'd be the closest major city, but, uh, farmland everywhere. You know, it's the Bible belt of California. We often say, and, uh, it, it was a good experience. I mean, it's weird to even look back to like, that's where all my family are to this day. So at least most of them, so it's still home in a lot of ways. So, so you feel uh, that yeah. you feel that call to ministry coming late into, yeah. late into high school, yeah. and then mm-hmm. how how does that lead you kind of to post post high school? Yeah, so I, I flowed directly into an internship. That's a long story, but it was just a great setup uh, where a mutual friend who I'd gotten to know a little bit was like, "Hey, I heard that you want to do ministry. I just got a job as a youth pastor at this." Uh, another Mennonite Brethren Church up in Fresno would love to have you come and uh, I can show you what I know and we can grow together and see what happens. And and this this friend of mine is still one of my best friends to this day. His name's Forrest. He's actually uh, uh, Forrest Jenin. I will plug him because uh, he's just a great preacher. Uh, if you ever want to hear just some great teaching, uh, Neighborhood Church in Visalia, man, that dude is just I listen to him. And, and it's not like he's this dense theologian. It's he has Anabaptist sympathies, but he's in a conservative context. And so the way his preaching is shaped is very, uh, very much he's finding that space that works. And uh, yeah, wow. Yeah. And ultimately, I, I, I made a joke the other day and he would appreciate this. I didn't tell him this, but this is what I would tell him. It's like if you got, if you took Andy Stanley and you, like took a guy like, and some people won't know who this is, but Bruxy Cavey. Yeah. And if they had a baby, which is biologically impossible, you would have my buddy Forrest when it comes to That's preaching. Awesome. So, so it's, it's, it's really, I like Bruxy uh, a lot. Fun. I've been yeah, listening to the yeah. last like three weeks or not even. Oh, yeah. And he's great, man. And of course, oh, Andy Stanley, shout out to Atlanta. Um, yeah, that's right. ATL. That's right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, wow. so, uh, all that to say, so I worked with him, uh, learned and grew like crazy, ended up in youth ministry out of college, out of that experience. And mostly, uh, found myself in church settings that increasingly became a challenge. And theologically, they were more and more challenging as I deconstructed. Uh, I know you guys were sharing earlier that you've gone through some of those heavy questions and wrestling with like, is this really what the Bible says? Like, is this really all that Christianity was and is? And uh, and as I did that, uh, I found myself in my first full-time youth pastor gig, and it was like, I thought it was going to be amazing. I was 22 when they hired me. It was uh, basically mega church. I mean, kind of smaller on the mega church scale, but big, a big church. Can you be yeah. a mega church and, and Mennonite at the same time? I've never... Well, I, was, I went Baptist all of a sudden. I mean, because it was oh, whatever, okay. right? Got I, it, got I, it. I was like, <laughs> it's like, cool, you know, whatever. It, they like Jesus. They'll let me say stuff and they'll pay me money. They gave me a like, job. Great. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Like, and I can get married 
you know? So, so all those things. And it was a good experience with the students. It was a terrible experience everywhere else. And I I don't want to go into that and I don't want to like bash that church at all. I just, just to say it was really hard. And, uh, the clash of worldviews just became more and more clear as I embraced slowly and then pretty starkly at one point in a baptism uh, that I'd basically made fun of my whole life, or at least neglected, even though my roots are Mennonite brethren, uh, both ethnically and every church up until that point. And so, uh, yeah, it, it wasn't a safe place to grow once I started growing into this kind of a Christian. And came out of that, had another opportunity uh, to serve and thought I was going to do a multi-site ministry situation. So I got hired at another, this was Mennonite Brethren Church after that. And long story short, uh, it didn't work out exactly as we had planned. The multi-site stuff was, uh, it just didn't happen. And it wasn't because it sucked or they, you know, it was just not the right time. And so basically, uh, through that process, had another sense, another tug that church planting, like to take all of that stuff I had been sitting with and imagining and wrestling with and saying, instead of being an extension of someone else's vision to allow God to shape a vision within me and to invite others into that. And so uh, that eventually would become Pangea Church in Seattle. And so that's the church journey. And in short, I got a master of divinity along that journey. Um, and that was at Fresno Pacific Biblical Seminary, Mennonite Brethren as well. And um, as I made the transition towards church planting, for a variety of reasons, ended up uh, in a sister denomination uh, called the Brethren in Christ. And so that's, uh, yeah, Got it. that's where you're, you're, I'm at you're now. You're back in grad school again, right? Yeah, I actually just finished a month ago. So, oh, congrats, um, man. Yeah, wow. yeah, 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 yeah. Your so, second graduate degree. Yeah, yeah. So I got a... I basically, um, are you hearing sounds by the way? Sorry. No, you're good. No. Okay. Sweet. Um, if you need to cut me off, just do it. No, uh, you're good. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. So, so yeah, I did get a second graduate degree and that was because my MDiv for me was broad and helpful, but I kind of got to the point where it was like, um, yeah, I think I want to go deeper. And so that's what the university of Washington ended up being for me. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I studied Paul in his, like you were kind of alluding to earlier in his Greco-Roman context. Uh, basically I, I lived in the first century as best I could with, uh, the various classes I took and the papers I wrote and Paul became my dude. Um, and, uh, finally awesome. finished that up in June. Yeah. It was That's crazy. Huge. It was good. It's good. So it let you kind of nerd out for like 90 seconds. Sure. What was your thesis? Like, and just get, I mean, dirty, get in, get in there. <laughs> <laughs> that is a Stephen S. Yeah. question to the max. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> I love it. So put some people so, to sleep. Come on. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna preface this by just simply saying the the actually like the most interesting part of my thesis I'm not sharing publicly because it may oh, turn okay. into a PhD proposal. Awesome. Um, and oh. it's the most horrible feeling inside my soul to not <laughs> be able to share it with you right now. Just so you know, because I'm so excited about it. But that's academia for you. You, you got to keep your ideas close to the chest until you publish them. So, um, so, but in short, I, I looked at Galatians and Romans and I looked at sort of an ethical sort of strand within the two of them through the lens of what's called inaugurated eschatology. And so, um, noticing that, within the now and not yet, this sort of interim ethic that Paul is proposing in various situations that, you know, in between those spaces, uh, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. This is what it looks like to be radically committed to discipleship in a world of empire. And so uh, it was amazing. I, 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 I can't it. tell you how much fun it was to write, um, but yeah, that's about all I can give you, to be yeah. honest, which is a bummer. Well, that's but, intriguing yeah. enough to get started. We'll stay tuned. Yeah. So so a couple of questions, and of course, we're really excited to dive right into Anabaptism. Um, yeah. But if you, when you kind of describe your core um, influences in terms of authors, mm-hmm. in terms of like sure. books that kind of made sure. you, made that journey in particular, like maybe you didn't, not today, but five, ten years ago, or your foundational mm-hmm. 
texts or ideas. How do you describe that? Yeah, I, I start by saying an Anglican bishop made me an Anabaptist. And so, um, and, and all Wright, of us said amen to that. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and yet he won't go there. It's so funny. It's so funny. Oh, that's a whole um, other episode. I want to hear about yeah, that. Yeah. 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 So, so, so N.T. Wright. And, yeah. So N.T. Wright, I stumbled upon him through emerging churchish stuff that was big in the early two thousands. Um, and he was a theologian, biblical scholar that was really giving voice to questions and ideas that a lot of us just didn't grow up in. Like what the Bible didn't just fall out of the sky. Like it had a world that it was in and this world was pretty messy. And when Jesus said certain things, they had certain ramifications for the people in that world. And that was, uh, yeah, life-changing. Uh, the other part of that, which was life-changing was his emphasis on new creation as a Christian hope versus heaven somewhere out there. Mm. And uh, that gave me framework eventually for embracing pacifism, uh, which yeah. I can I can talk about a little bit. But so, so N.T. Wright was sort of part of it. And then, of course, like Shane Claiborne and um, Greg Boyd even was a big influence. It's still they still are Greg, especially. Um, and Shane, I just uh, I love what he does and is doing. Um, and so I would say, like, it's odd to me that my my Anabaptism was actually sort of ignited from non-traditional Mennonite voices. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other words, not Mennonite at all. And what that did for me was it sort of like gave me a roundabout way to circle back and say, wait a second, these folks are saying that we've got some gifts to offer the rest of the church and I'm not even noticing them, you know? And so, so, uh, yeah, that was uh, a huge deal as, as these authors sort of pointed me towards something I didn't know I had. Yeah. I'm I'm, I'm excited to have you on because I think Andrew, you and I, we were just talking the other day, like, in, in the throes of sort of our own identity crisis, we're we're, <laughs> we're reading some of these some of these writers and 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 we're like, oh my gosh, I think we might be Anabaptists. Yeah, right. yeah, that's yeah. A bit, well, well, what's, what's so <laughs> ironic too, Stephen. Uh, Kurt wouldn't necessarily know this, but for our listeners, our last episode, which was kind of just a you and I debrief on, on thoughts on mission and discipleship and our influences, I, I was going back and thinking about it, like as we were talking about the kingdom here and now and how to embrace, you know, his will on earth as is in heaven and discovering that in high school and finding like authors and like half of what we rattled off in the last episode is all Anabaptist stuff. Like wow. all Anabaptist, like we were talking about Yoder. We we're talking about yeah. Ron Sider. We we're talking about like all these guys that have, of course, Shane Claiborne, who the list, our listeners have heard me talk about 10 times being from Philly. It's like, yeah. it, it's crazy. Like the amount of influence. So we wanted to have you on, of course, number one, to dive in to dive into that, but also the fact, and we'll get into this, I'm sure, that you're not just an academic, um, and you're not just a pastor, and you're not just a podcaster, and just happen to be an Anabaptist. You're sort of in the throes of all of this, and you know we call yeah. this a laity podcast because we want it to have some some hands and feet. We we want it yeah. to show up somewhere, mm-hmm, and and mm-hmm. also to be relevant for those who are you know, forgive the term, but more or less in the pews sitting in the, you know, sure. are, are lay people in the pews that aren't trying to be anything more than faithful yeah. followers of Christ or people on the oh, journey. And so that's obviously yep. part of what you're doing, but to, to transition Anabaptist, uh, to Anabaptism, of course, all our church of Christ listeners ears perked up when they heard baptism, but aren't sure what Anna meant. Um, yeah. So yeah. maybe what we could do is, you know, cause I definitely want to dive into <laughs> some really of funny. your, uh, some of your, <laughs> I mean, it's true. Uh, yeah. seriously, we're like, wait a minute. Um, I heard the Amish baptized people. So, no, but basically, I, I, I what I want to do is, of course, get into kind of the core, what we'd call yeah. like differentiators or sort of the 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 mark, uh, the, the the kind of the the post kind of marks that that ultimately represent mm-hmm. Anabaptism. But before that, can you give us a little bit of history in terms of yeah. kind of foundational, not super dense and nerdy, but kind of for the common person, the roots yeah. of Anabaptism? I, I know that it's in Europe, it's it's midst in the midst of the Reformation. Maybe mm-hmm. give us a little bit of that, and then give us a quick blip in kind of the, the Anabaptist world today, maybe particularly in North America. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? My knowledge, to be honest, because I, I spent so much of my time in the first century, I, I honestly am 
like my regurgitation is up right about at lay spaces, awesome. you know, cause I, I'm not by any stretch an expert on reformation history. Um, but I, uh, certainly know the story as it's been told to me. And as I've done some research over the years, you know, uh, big part of our story is that as Luther and some of the other reformers are having this revolution of, uh, thought and experience, they're realizing that there are things about Roman Catholicism that are just off base at the time. And I want to emphasize at the time, a lot of things have changed and we need to always name that in these conversations. Uh, Roman Catholicism Mm -hmm. in the 1500s is not Roman Catholicism today. Uh, in fact, I would venture to say that there are, uh, pockets of Roman Catholic uh, experience in theology that look a lot more Anabaptist than some of the Anabaptist communities I grew up in. Mm -hmm. And so it's very fascinating how these things come around full circle. Uh, But in short, 1500s, these folks decide, hey, as we read the Bible and as we experience the world around us, why in the world is our baptism the stamp of our citizenship into a nation of the world, right? And they start asking these sorts of questions as they read the Bible. So it is very rooted in baptism, you know, for your people, this is this is gold, right? Because, because for them, it's like baptism is supposed to be for an alternative kingdom, but mm. here we are in the middle of like this conflict between the Roman church wants us to do it this way, mostly infants, it's tied to their like human rights, essentially, and citizenship. Well, these other followers of Christ are uh, Protestant or whatever, but they haven't really changed that narrative much. And so the Anabaptists come along and say, why in the world aren't we following what the New Testament says about this more closely? Mm. Now, some of that, I would say, if we're very honest, is called Right. Some of that is like they're in this pressure chamber of all of these new thoughts and new ideas, and they start to really wrestle with their own self-understanding. And they get to a point where they have to say, yeah, but what about, you know, which in every generation we do. And so they start rebaptizing anabaptism. Um, I'm guessing, I can't remember. I'm guessing the Greek is like anabaptizo or something, you know, like rebaptize. Baptize and, again. Basically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, uh, and it's kind of, you know, uh, a bad idea for the folks who do this in the 1500s because reformers don't really like this and Catholic folks don't really like this. So they tie ropes around them and have them hold large rocks and they baptize them a third time in the creek and they don't come back from that baptism. Wow. You know, I mean, these are the sorts of things that are happening at this time. There, People are killing each other over ideas. I mean, it's absolutely sin, you know? And so, so the Anabaptists, although not perfect, uh, I think there is a strand of legalism that Jesus would challenge in early parts of Anabaptism at times. But they wanted to follow Jesus, and that meant baptism was the marker of a new sort of citizenship, and that citizenship was marked by peace. That citizenship was marked by love of enemy. And so they were not going to fight back in those scenarios. And so uh, something about this was compelling for certain pockets of people, and it still expanded in spite of that. Mm. And it kept going. It eventually becomes all kinds of different traditions, uh, Amish people, Hutterite people. You know, those would be sort of the classic horse and buggy sort of Mennonite strands that you would think of. And I say that very loosely. Uh, they're not technically Mennonite Um and then, you know, Menno Simons comes along and says, this Anabaptist movement is good. It's beautiful. And he gives leadership to a pocket of folks in that movement. And uh, it really takes off and spreads throughout Europe. Eventually, they're persecuted in various ways. So they move to the Americas and there's all kinds of like organic movements of Mennonite Anabaptism that pop up all over the place. And uh, today we have several Mennonite-ish denominations and Mennonite Brethren, which I mentioned, is one of those that uh, I have a lot of friends and family that are a part of that and love that uh, tradition. Despite some of my earlier comments, I I love it. Um, The Brethren in Christ, which is where I'm at now, uh, very similar. 
and uh, there's Mennonite Church USA, and then there's all kinds of other pockets of Mennonites throughout the North American context as well. So that's, that's a, a I'm very quick introduction, but yeah, that's sort of how I understand this story and history. I, I, I never, I, I don't, I missed this part. I guess I never realized that the Anabaptism, that, that, that it, it means kind of a rebaptism into this, this kingdom identity. I, yeah, that's been what's drawn me a lot to the tradition. Honestly, is that it does, yeah. it seems to have the, uh, 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 like, like the resources to create these communities that are, um, sort of like settlements of, of, yeah. of a different, of a different kingdom. Um, and I, yeah. I, mean, I, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. That's, that's awesome. That's a good, yeah. I think that's a, a good segue. So obviously you talked about peace, you talked about pacifism at a high, high level kingdom. When you start to kind of break down sort of the core signposts of, of the tradition, um, mm-hmm. you know, the key differentiators as, you know, as I described it kind of, how do you begin? And, and even when you're kind of on the street or in your church or kind of introducing mm-hmm. people to the tradition, and maybe in a rank order or not, kind of as you obviously following Jesus is is what we're all about. But how would you sort of outline that, or how do you outline the Baptist uh, Anabaptist faith? Yeah, yes. So I certainly will say there's a diversity. Um, so not every expression outwardly looks the same. Not every expression reads the Bible exactly the same. But some of the things that really put us all together are this commitment to following Jesus over, uh, not over against, but more than beliefs about Jesus. And what I mean by that is that the Anabaptist tradition is rooted in Jesus as example and as companion and as king. And so uh, when we read the Bible, we tend to ask the question, who is Jesus? How do we get to know Jesus based on what the scriptures say? And through that lens of Jesus, try and understand everything else in scripture. And so the Sermon on the Mount becomes, you know, we, we would say all of scripture is authoritative, but mm-hmm. functionally, we have a functional canon like anyone does, right? So like, I, I, I would venture to guess that some Calvinists would say that maybe, um, Romans is there like canon within the canon, you know, right. we all do this. So for us, it's always been the Sermon on the Mount is sort of this canon within the canon. And uh, so those teachings of Jesus that I think the early Anabaptists looked around and said, all of this killing, all this fighting, all this stuff like doesn't look like the Jesus we see in the Gospels. Uh, I think for them, they went back to what did those red letters say and how can we live like that? How can we be like that? And um, so for them, it was really a move towards biblical literalism in a lot of ways. Now, that that gets a little weird and wonky along the way, like it does in almost any tradition. But it's really about Jesus being the focal point. Now, it, it goes beyond that, of course. Uh, so what you get, if you want to just get practical, right? Like, so Jesus is the center um, and, and, and specifically hermeneutical center, like interpretive center of everything. And what you get out of that is a commitment to nonviolence. Uh, there's various versions of how that's talked about, but nonviolence is uh, central. Uh, the contrast community is a very big deal because of that. So we look at the teachings of Jesus and we say he's empowering a community to be a contrast to the communities and nations of the world. And so this contrast society where everyone is a priest, everyone has access to God directly Mm. is another real central component of raw anabaptism. And, uh, you know, I think what you get out of that is a, a strong emphasis on um, loving neighbors who are suffering and poor and struggling and all that stuff. So, so what you get out of that are some of the things that have become hip in some pockets of Christianity. And uh, I think what over time happened in some pockets of Anabaptism is that the, uh, the beauty of some of those things got lost. And uh, some of us are rediscovering it. And then there's some faithful communities that are still... Uh, doing the stuff. So, yeah. So, so I wanted to chime in and ask a question on, so that on the teachings of Jesus peace, and this resonates with me quite a bit. And, and it be, now as much, if not more than it did years and years and years ago, when I recognize that, and I'm just going to speak for myself and my own faith, yeah. 
there's a there is a sharp contrast between understanding and obeying the and fleshing out and living out the teachings of Jesus yeah versus teaching and believing the right things about Jesus that therefore yeah. identify me as a Christian so yep. meaning if and I remember talking to I've talked to a mentor uh, and, and and pastor about this, and you know what he would say. Kind of the language, the the, the metaphor that he often use uses is he he paints this, this picture. And I'm going to botch this, but essentially, if if this King Jesus was you know the head of this, it's as if he's the head of this this carpenters union, and what yeah. he's doing is he's enrolling. You know, he he's enrolling carpenters, and therefore trying to make the best quality carpenters he can by teaching them, and if they would embrace who he is, what he teaches, how he does it, they become the best carpenters that they can be. But what we've done and what I, and I say we, I mean, me and in some of my history and and what I think can happen in the church is we're not turning people into better carpenters. We're actually bringing them into the carpenters union to then get equipped to be really good recruiters into the carpenters union. So the, the, the primary function becomes not like not that, not trying man. to bring in not actually making better carpenters, but making people that are really really great at recruiting more people into the union. And so wow. and, and then the way to get in is effectively by you know, and this metaphor sort of breaks down. But in our what we'd say in reality is the way to get in is believing certain things about the head of the union. Essentially, do you believe that we are going to work these hours, these wages? You'll recruit mm-hmm. this many people in. By the end, and if you do this, you're a card carrying member. Meanwhile, you can't build a house to save your life because you don't know yeah. anything about carpentry <laughs> because you haven't yeah. been studying carpentry. You've been studying sales, right? So, yeah. what's interesting is the uh, when for me uh, when it became a shift from wait a minute. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I believe that we need to carry our cross and follow Him, and I believe we need to make disciples. I believe we need to. Enter. But do I look like Jesus as represented in his life and in the Sermon on the Mount? Namely, hmm. commitment to nonviolence, the, you know, being, you know, even just the Beatitudes, the poor in spirit, the meekness, the merciful, like where yeah. are uh, the commitment to purity, like all of these things. And it sounds like to me, um, you guys are the only group that got it right. No, I'm just kidding. That that you guys actually like are, are looking. The the part of what what you guys are doing is actually looking into the teaching, saying, you know, what makes you a disciple isn't necessarily believing the right things about the resurrection, about Jesus, or the afterlife. It's actually First John, right? To those who believe in Jesus, like actually have to walk like he did. It's putting these actual teachings into practice. I'll get down from the soapbox, but is that is that kind of what you're you're getting at here? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, uh, you know, what would I say? And how does that, let me, say, let me interrupt you and ask a question. Yeah. How yeah. does that play out? Not to jump ahead to kind of the no, church please, thing. Please. Steven's laughing because I always do this. The, <laughs> I, no, I, it, I don't, I'm dude, I'm so chill with everyone. So yeah, I go, let me ask a question. Actually, let me interrupt you and answer it. Um, yeah. no, it's basically uh, like in your tradition and in your church, like it's, it to me is a very different thing because these teachings are hard. They're like, it's not like, Hey, do you believe Jesus is your Lord that you'll follow him to the best of your ability, AKA make other disciples and believe the right doctrine. But you're saying, are you committed to nonviolence? Are you committed to loving your enemy? Are you like when you act to not resist an evil person? Like my question to you is in a pastoral role, how do you approach sort of discipleship to members of of your congregation? Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. when you're helping people to know Jesus, are you starting in Matthew five? Like, are you actually going into the teachings of Jesus from the get go? Wow. That's actually a really great, great question. I think, yeah, let me sit with that. Hang on here. So, <laughs> so no, this is, this is no, really good. No, pressure. No, 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 no. I think this is good. So, so on the one hand, what we wouldn't do or wouldn't say, and I'm not hearing this from you, but in case someone interprets what we've said as anything different, uh, we assume orthodoxy. Like, it's just like, okay, sure. Resurrection. Sure. Atonement. Sure. Like all that's just it's assumed. But it's the orthopraxy, right? Like the the doing the stuff yeah. that makes any of that stuff have meaning in the world. And and let me say one other thing that as a white middle class uh, privileged dude living in a very wealthy city, 
you know, I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know that I follow all of these teachings in radical ways every, every day of my life. So, so, so I say all of that to simply say, uh, I think sometimes when people are introduced to anabaptism, uh, we can accidentally get very excited. And then we go from excitement to, it must be like this. And then once it must be like this, it, for some, I've seen it become very rigid Mm-hmm. And and very like new kinds of lines in the sand. And so I say that as preface to then say that when we talk about discipleship in our context, we talk about both knowing and following Jesus. That that for us is the the way we would introduce that concept. That Jesus is someone both to know and to follow. And so knowing Jesus, like we really still have embraced this idea that there is an experiential personal quality to knowing Christ and to uh, experiencing the abiding presence of Jesus. This is very personal, very relational. And at the same time, how that relationship plays itself out is very functional. It, it is about following and following hopefully looks increasingly like those things we see in places like the Sermon on the Mount. But the reason those things hopefully become actualized, if we're understanding the storyline right, if we're le- leaning into this thing, it's because our experience of Jesus is shaping our character, our inward life in such a way that our natural impulses towards violence have shifted. Hmm that our natural impulses to hoard our possessions starts to shift. Because what often has happened, and I would say this has probably been a struggle in Anabaptist pockets in various ways, is that we we make these things into rules instead of outcomes of experiencing God. And, and what I think Anabaptism and the New Testament personally really offers the world is you can become a different kind of person by knowing Jesus and by following in his footsteps and by kind of doing the kinds of things he invites you to do, but not out of obligation, although obedience is central to our tradition, but it's the kind of obedience that says, I've been practicing for this moment, my whole life when I can, I can use violence or not, but Jesus has been helping me practice this moment for years. And now that I have the option to hit someone back or to uh, resist through love, uh, my opportunity to apply this experience of Jesus is here. Mm. And will I be the kind of person who resists through love instead of through the sword? And so having those two pieces together has been very important for my process because when I swung the pendulum from sort of just, you know, evangelical Christianity solely, which I still am pretty evangelical in some ways, I suppose, but I swung towards this radical discipleship and all these things. What became very obvious to me after a while was I was starting to move towards, I have to do these things. And what I think Jesus really teaches is, no, you can become this kind of person so that these things are natural and part of who you become. So that's that's how we talk about it, at least. I, uh, a lot of this is reminding me, I'm reading right now some Stanley Howard was. He's, would, he, would he locate himself as an Anabaptist? What would he say? I've heard him say a lot of things. Yeah, I think he would. I think he's technically United Methodist, um, but I think he would say he's like small C Catholic and Anabaptist or something, you know, like I think that's kind of his zone. Yeah, I might be misrepresenting him. Um, I'm not uh, thoroughly read in Hauerwas. I'm certainly familiar with his work, Um, but that's my impression from what I do know about his very, I mean, his his work's very important stuff, uh, especially on Christian ethics. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, like that would be my impression. Well, that, sure. that, that's, that's kind of where my question is going. Cause I'm reading his book. It's a primer on Christian ed- ethics called the peaceable kingdom. We'll put a link up or something to it online in the show notes. Um, and one of the big kind of things he, he mentions is that basically, at least in the United States, we think of ethics and like how we should live our life. We think about that, that is, that discipline is basically, um, <sighs> like the ability to be in a situation and to apply certain rules to a situation that then drive your experience. Mm. Um, and so, but what he, what he wants to, what, what, what he's trying to posit in the book and, and what's, what's really kind of 
I'm, I'm, I'm sitting with, it's interesting, is that actually, you know, ethics are the, are, are, the way you think about what to do is, is the product of where you are. It's the product of your story. Mm, yeah. And so yeah. what, uh, it's good. What, what, I, what I'm interested in is, is as an Anabaptist, this, the whole nonviolent stuff, honestly, it's, it's blowing my mind because it's, I've been thinking about, I uh, think about it for a while and, and I feel like it's kind of, I, I'm, I'm, I'm slowly, I officially, even this is totally irrelevant. I like officially like did whatever I could to change on my draft card that I will not go to war. Yeah. Nice. Uh, yeah. That's good. I, I, I'm too old now to go to war apparently. Right. But, right. <laughs> I remember so, doing that. I, I know exactly what you're saying. I, wow. I'm, I'm like, I'm like starting to take the steps. Like, okay, I think I might, this might actually be like a thing for me is pacifism thing. But then when you, so it begins with like, yeah, I'm not going to kill people. But then the story that you have to live in in order, in order to really make sense of that all the way down. Yes. Um, I'm curious for you. So what, what is it about the Anabaptist story that makes pacifism not just, or, or this whole nonviolence thing, not just the reason why you won't like beat somebody up. Like what is it about, about your story and about what it, how you make sense of God and the atonement that, that, that makes pacifism and nonviolence kind of just the, the natural Ooh, the outcome you're talking about. Yeah. 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 Guys. Wow. That, that's good. Man. I, I mean, honestly, this is such a good question. Like these questions are good and they're ones that are reminding me to sit with questions like this, uh, in fresh ways. I, I think honestly, uh, I grew up hearing the story of my people being persecuted and, and it's waves of persecution. So it's the early Anabaptists. And then for my family, um, I, I come out of a line of folks who eventually become identified as Mennonite brethren. And the only reason they sort of take on that moniker is because they have a revival experience somewhere in Prussia in the 1800s. Sure. And God shakes them up through some pietist or, yeah, I'm pretty sure some pietist preaching. And they realize, hey, we've lost our relational connection to Jesus uh, in, in the way that we desire. And so they have this revival and, and over time they begin to be persecuted in that setting that used to be safe in Prussia. And what, what ends up happening is as the story goes, like in the dark of night, they would hop, you know, they would flee, they'd hop on a boat, they'd end up in North America, they would resettle. And, and I think like this wave of, we're going to be persecuted. We're going to be faithful through persecution. We're going to follow Jesus. We're going to be persecuted. You know, it happened multiple times to some of these groups. I think it's this narrative that no matter what happens to us, God looks like Jesus. Yeah. And if that is true, Jesus invites us to love these people. And if that is true, how could we respond any other way? Now, what I just said is idealism. It's not realism. That, If we're honest, that's not realism. But that would be the idealism of uh, the theology and the, I, the, the content of Anabaptism. And, and so perhaps that's one storyline that really makes an impact. Now, what is interesting, though, about that narrative is once safety is provided— North American safety, many of those folks, especially my tribe, my, my, uh, for lack of a better word, ethnic tribe, my, my Mennonite brethren tribe. Um, and even in my, my current denominational family, the brethren in Christ, which have a very similar story, some different things, but similar theology, similar story. Uh, they, they have world war two show up after finding a, a season of comfort and peace. And many of them say yes to the draft. Many of them say, you know what? There is a threshold to evil here. And now that we know what it's like to be in um, stable situations, uh, maybe our pacifism stuff isn't right after all. And that generation starts to sort of, from my perspective, compromise the beauty of Anabaptism and, and probably for very righteous reasons. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, so the storyline again, I think is being refreshed amongst some of us uh, in another wave. And it's not this time jolted by persecution. I think it's jolted by 
there's got to be more to the story than this. So there's, yeah, yeah, it's a different impulse, I think, pushing us there. But it's the same sort of um, vision, I, I hope. Andrew, can I ask one more question? Yeah, go, go. Yeah, yeah, please. Go. So this is a stumper here, Kurt. I, I'm, I'm, I'm about to drop a question you've never heard before. So I hope, hey. you're, I hope you're ready. All right, all right, all right. So all right if you're it. a pacifist yep. and somebody breaks into your house. Oh, yeah, I've never heard this. Continue. So is the John Yoder type, like and, the scenario and they, book. And they threaten your wife and children. Yeah. What do you do? I have no idea. <laughs> Told you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the truth. That's the truth. Yeah. And, and, and the, the truth is that in my heart, I have already decided that that person, although scary, although intimidating, at some foundational level is loved by Jesus. Wow. And, and so I know that much of my story with Jesus hopefully goes into that scenario. What I don't know is how that plays out. Um, my, my five-year-old and, uh, my, my wife and anyone else who I love, you know, um, it it does make that a hard question. The, The challenge is we, as American folks, at least, have this Spider-Man or Batman complex where all we need is a little violence to pacify the un, the the unjust violence, you know. And if right. we if our violence can conquer bad violence, then maybe violence will eventually stop. Mm. And and actually, history doesn't bear itself out that way. Neither do personal relationships ultimately. And so I um, I hope that I'd I'd react nonviolently. I think there's shades of gray. I have no problem with restraint. Sure. Right. If I had a, yeah. if I had the chance to restrain, tackle, hold back, you know, whatever I had to do, I, I have no doubt about that. I mean, I'm looking right now up on my shelf over here is my high school football helmet. I can, I can bring that, <laughs> that skill set back. Yeah. Um, that was not violent. That was sport. Is that your rifle people... back there as well? I didn't know. No, yeah, he's yeah, in yeah, Seattle. Like... He's not in yeah. Athens, Steven. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> A rifle. Oh man. Uh, I had one at one point. We got rid of it when I joined this whole, uh, and a Baptist vision, but yes, yes. That's cool. That's helpful. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, I mean, so, so again, it comes about, comes back to what kind of person am I preparing to be with Jesus in my community? And if I prepare for that moment, um, yeah. And, and also just quickly, those scenarios often define people's answers. So let's go to the worst case scenario with violence and develop our theology from the mm. worst case. Uh, rather than let's start with the teaching of Jesus and build our case towards the worst case scenario. And and again, our American mentality instead of honestly, that's just the to sound very traditional, the spirit of the world, right? And so like we we have to have what Paul calls the renewing of our imagination, the renewing of our minds. Mm. And if, if we can have our minds renewed, uh, the way we look at the world has to be radically different. And uh, hopefully that informs those moments. So that's helpful. Thanks, Kurt. I, so we have about 10 minutes here and, sure. and I, we'll have to do a part two at some point because Anytime. I have too much yeah, stuff. Right. Happy, so, happy but, so things I want to hit, I don't think we hit this right now because it's too much of a can of worms, but we have to hit atonement. uh, Because obviously, if you believe that Jesus is fundamentally the best picture we have of God, that Jesus is nonviolent, is God violent? Right is the yeah. is the next obvious yeah. question kind of in the in the Domino's text block. I also had this question I want to hit at some point, like how Anabaptists think about evangelism. I think that would be really interesting oh. to, to hit at some yeah. point, and um, yeah. and then to the. Uh, we have to talk about the kingdom, like at least talk a little oh, bit about yeah. kind of the kingdom oh, yeah. of God stuff and, sure. and some sure. of that. And then maybe we can kind of wrap with, we don't have to hit all of that, but then no, maybe we can cool. kind of work towards sort of a, you know, how this is all being fleshed out in your ministry. And, and you know, maybe we can talk about some of your resources and point people in that direction, but right. could you, if right. we can, we'll try to be disciplined two minutes on mm-hmm. atonement or like three minutes on yeah, atonement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine. And, and uh, I, I have flexibility, so I know you said ten. I can do twelve or thirteen. Okay, cool. Yeah, we'll, we'll, so, you, we'll trust yeah, you. Whatever works for you guys. Um, yeah, we're open. So, yeah, yeah. So um, on atonement, uh, this is a big deal. So, so b- before we, we're going, in, we're going very theological, and I have to name something about my process uh, as someone who reads the Bible and talks about it. Uh, I my brain is 
like, how do I say this? I'm so right now in the season of my life rooted in historical and biblical studies of texts that I haven't really like sat with theological questions as much as I would have five years ago. And all of that is to say that um, although they're complementary disciplines, um, my questions are usually more right now like, so when Paul is in Corinth and they offer him something to eat, but he's a Jewish man, but he's found Jesus, does his Judaism inform the way he eats with them? You know, like, so those are the questions I'm thinking about right, right now. Right. Um, now, now, just to put it out there. So I'm going to be grabbing for some memories and some important impressions on these, but, uh, if you're free to reference me, others, other like authors, I, or... I absolutely will, because I have been very influenced and <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, one of the things that is really important about the atonement for me is we can keep substitution without the wrath of God being poured out on Jesus. So, so for me, one of the things that I see when I read the New Testament is not that God has wrath that has to be dispensed towards human beings, that God has wrath that must be dispensed towards Jesus because Jesus is now getting in the way of an angry God who, who has nothing else that this God can do but feels trapped by some divine law. You know, it, it's funny, we, we want to trap God in some set of laws that really, it it just boggles my mind. Like, how can we trap God in some set of texts, right? Right. And laws. Now, now that, that granted, uh, God isn't bound by those, those things because they're not in the text in the first place. Um, and so, yeah, one of the biggest issues for me is what does the atonement look like? And I was, a uh, I was mentored by and TA for Mark Baker, who is one of the world renowned scholars on the atonement and criticizing traditional versions of penal substitution atonement or penal, uh, often called penal satisfaction. And then a Baptist, um, we don't necessarily have one view of the atonement. So Anabaptism classically has believed that God the Father has the right to use wrath when necessary, hmm. but that humans do not. Now, I would challenge how often that really plays itself out. I think Greg Boyd is giving us an interesting model in his book, The Crucifixion of the Warrior God. He has a popular version uh, called Cross Vision. So start with Cross Vision uh, because the the thick book is long, like too long, Uh, but it's it's important content. Uh, so, So I think there are people in my tribe that are saying, what if we really took seriously this reading the Bible through the lens of Jesus? Is God really a violent sort of retributive God? Classically, Anabaptists have said it's possible that God uses retribution in certain situations, especially in the Old Testament. But under this new phase, this progressive revelation we have that has fully been actualized in Jesus, this is a new era. That's so new covenant theology is very central to this. That even if someone says, Yeah, but God was wrathful and God was mean and God was all, well, what else is God going to do in a barbaric culture that God is like, I've got to carry these people forward? I've got to keep the mission moving forward. And sometimes there's no other option but to play by their rules to make this thing continue to move forward so that we eventually get the Israelite, we get Jesus, right? And so, so Anabaptism is okay with that, but a lot of us would challenge it. And so, a couple of books, uh, those ones I mentioned by Greg Boyd, and then, um, Reclaiming the Scandal of the Cross. If you are a nerd and want to go for it on just atonement, that is my number one recommendation. Uh, Mark D. Baker, my mentor in seminary, plus Joel B. Green of Fuller Theological Seminary. It is a gem right. of a resource. So awesome. go there. We yeah. love, we, Stephen and I both love, even N.T. Wright's latest book on that, The Day the Revolution Began, which we, we Fair- loved that too. Very yeah. compatible, I would say, with uh, some of what I've said. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely resonate. Yeah. yeah, overall, yeah, very compatible. Mm-hmm. Steve, so, what, a, what about evangelism? What was the uh, what, yeah? What how that? do how do Anabaptists think about evangelism, especially the you know in my in our tradition, 
there's a, you know, what that looked like, what that looks like very often is, of course, building relationships and kind of this mm-hmm. natural progression of sharing your faith in your life. But frankly, also, we have a really strong tradition around even what we call cold contact evangelism. I mean, Ooh. we're not necessarily mm-hmm. like knocking on doors in neighborhoods, but certainly knocking on doors in, in dorms and, um, yeah. you know, just going up and sharing with people. I've, we have, I have memories of my mom sharing her faith with, you know, the grocery line cashier with, yeah. you know, the, like everyone and anyone has sure, come to church. Sure. And of course I'm sure plenty of people in every tradition do and others don't do that. But, but with a strong, such a strong kingdom ethic as well, it, you know, in the Anabaptist tradition, yeah. I wonder, I'm sure there's the conversations happen when they need to happen, but also with this emphasis on praxis and, and living out a life and mm. a distinctiveness you know, you have on one extreme, and I'm very naive here, but kind of the Amish tradition, which is obviously a pulling away from yeah. you know, what everyone else is doing out there and maybe evangelism by example from a distance. I, how do you guys, how, how do you think about yeah. it? I know it's not fair yeah. to blanket the, the stream, oh, no. but... I, and you can't. I mean, you really can't. But I can tell you about my experience and my sure. impressions. Uh, I think what you get with the Amish is the ultimate example of contrast society, right? I think the Amish would say, you want to follow our patterns of living and how we understand God in the world? Come come join. You know, you see us from the outside looking in and you want this. I would assume there's a track for folks who want to join. It's probably a rare track, I would I would guess. So in some sense, that gives you like a radical version of this contrast kingdom of evangelism, right? And classically, Anabaptism has been very much, we love neighbors. And as we love neighbors, we give evidence to Jesus, right? Um, that said, I think partially a, a good trajectory, although played out in awkward ways sometimes, uh, evangelicalism's influence in the 50s, I think, for for some of the Anabaptist streams wasn't bad. Uh, we can easily become the church you know, there's these, uh, we used to have these jokes that the reason the church buildings way off the street was because we didn't care about the community. We just wanted a safe place, you know, and, and what has happened in the last, uh, 50, 60 years is no, 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 like, like the church exists for the world. So we're a contrast for the world, not, uh, away from the world. And so I think in its worst forms, there's a retreat impulse, but in its best forms, there's an invitation impulse. And, So I would say, you know, uh, for my tradition, we want people to become Christians. Like we want people to follow Jesus. We want people to experience uh, salvation and all of those good things, Uh, you know, and there might be varieties of ways that people actually frame that. But uh, we think the good news means good news in holistic fashion. But it, I think in its idealized form, uh, Anabaptism would say, join us in being part of this contrast kingdom where we have an alternative king. His name is Jesus. But the thing about having, and this is something I get from Bruxy Cavey, he always says something to the effect of the thing about having Jesus as your Lord and King is you also get him as friend, you know, that's kind of a bonus. Mm. And I think we would sort of go that route in a lot of ways. Friend and savior. Yeah. That's awesome. And I I had, I, made a comment about the kingdom, but I think I want to hit pause on that. Cause I want to talk, to, I want to do a deep dive on the kingdom, maybe in another yeah, episode. Yeah, Can you sure. give us, but, but I did have a question just in terms of, I've even just been reading about call it revival, call it renewed interest, call it, you know, in the world mm. today, particularly in the States today, um, yeah. you are on a church plant in Seattle. We'd yep. love to hear about how that's going, you know, the, sure. just what, how that journey has been. But also can you give, for those of us that don't know the tradition, give us a sort of temperature on sort of the, what seems to be an increased interest in the Anabaptist tradition amongst people like our age, our demographic in mm-hmm. the state mm-hmm. and in particular in urban settings. I'm just interested in kind of yep. that shift yep. away from the rural farmland thing and into more of the urban setting. Uh, so however you want to tackle the, the yeah, those that's great. I think, uh, I think there's a lot of what has become coined neo Anabaptism, right? right? So this, right. you guys probably in your own se- kind of own way would fit into that. Uh, you can have Anabaptist sympathies, but not necessarily be in a Anabaptist traditional church. Uh, that's, that's kind of a, a move that I shared about how I got in. I got in as an neo-anabaptist, really, if you think about it, all my influences were from the outside. I just happened to have the right bloodline or whatever, you know? And so like, so in a real like experiential sense, I'm probably more of a neo-anabaptist with how I experience this stuff. 
um, even though it's my tradition and it's my history. Uh, I would say that the move towards the city and urban planting, a lot of that came out of the UK with Stuart Murray is one of the great leaders in the UK who uh, started something called the Anabaptist Network and uh, their church planting expression called Urban Expression. Uh, A lot of like organic emerging church communities uh, really rooted in these Anabaptist values. And I think what it is about our generation here in North America is there's a growing demographic of folks who want to follow Jesus, want to dive deep into uh, what it looks like to be a thoroughly Christian, um, but are burned on the visible expressions of mm. the church plus politics, are burned on the church, and we have two issues we speak against all the time, and no one knows what we're really for anymore, and you know all of these sorts of things. And so I think one of the things that when people find in a baptism, they are drawn towards, oh, There's this group of people that have always said nationalism, no matter the direction of the polarity of the politics, is bad. It doesn't help Mm. anyone. There's this group of people that say loving the poor is central to the Christian identity. And, um, you know, so I think there's this pull towards community where such autonomous individuals, but I think with a more connected age, we're realizing that it's well, it's a it's a very empty project to live in silos. And so I think there's a draw towards a radical community as well. And so those are the sorts of things that I think are drawing us into this new space. Uh, it's not a huge group, but it is a visible group. And so for us in Seattle, it's been, what does it look like to embody these sorts of values? And it's not easy. Um, and these are contextual issues. These are conversations we're still having. Uh, but we're we're trying to say that what if the kingdom looks like Jesus? And if the kingdom looks like Jesus and we're emissaries of that kingdom, how how can we invite people into a a not a brand new storyline, but an augment of the storyline that may be empowering to follow Jesus in a new way? Love it. Love that. Well, Thanks so much, Kurt. And there's other things we could hit on, but this has been a great, I sure, think, you know, initial sure. conversation. Stephen, unless you had anything else like pressing you want to hit immediately, um, you know, one thing we like to do here, and we learned it from a, a guest. Um, two, well, two things. One, um, want to first of all give you an opportunity just to make a, a couple of plugs, resources for our for our listeners yeah. into your work. We've mentioned theology curator, we've mentioned the Paul cast, we've mentioned a Rapture Drill, um, your blog as well. Kind of, you want to give a, a, any other sort of you know insight into what you're working on currently and pointing listeners, uh, you know, to resources. Yeah, absolutely. No, I appreciate that opportunity. Uh, you know, if you wanted just like a home base, uh, and this is an easy thing to remember just to find out how to get connected to a lot of my resources easily. Uh, all you got to do is go to, um, and this is going to sound funny because it is, but revelationcheatsheet.com, revelationcheatsheet.com. And I give away this PDF about some very important, broad observations about the book of Revelation, how we read it, how we um, approach it. Uh, but you also end up on my email list when you do that. And that really connects you to most of my work. And you'll eventually find the right you know, the right channels to the podcast and all of that. Of course, you could go to theologycurator.com and see a lot of my stuff or the Pathios stuff is... Uh, you know, the Pangea blog, if you want to look up, especially some of my archived old articles and some new stuff as well. So, uh, yeah, I'm honored by the fact that people actually listen to stuff and hopefully what I say, uh, through writing and speaking can be empowering for folks to have important conversation, uh, in their own local situations. So awesome. And for the, uh, fellow Seattle dwellers there, definitely check out Pangea Church. In fact, can we do a thing where like they get a certain percentage off if they mention the Lady Podcast and come to your church? Like oh, yeah, they they, yeah. Th- they have to give. Go ahead, Steve. What are you going to say? Do you have an idea? Yeah, like, like a discount on tithing, right? Like you can do. No, that's what I'm saying. Eight percent instead of ten percent. Yeah, like hey, we we heard you about the Lady Podcast. We want to be members, but we're not interested in giving. Is that does that work? <laughs> But actually, what I was going to ask is, That's what part of town are you in? What part of what, what yes. part of town uh, do you guys uh, for for those yeah. who are in Seattle? We are on the north half of town. Uh, we are in a neighborhood called Ballard. 
Um, cool. so it's kind of a fun neighborhood. Uh, but honestly, uh, we have people from all over the geography that actually come because the city is such a weird, our housing is very unstable and confusing. We have people as far down as outside of Seattle, like in Renton and some of those like bordering suburbs to the North and Edmonds and then everywhere in between. And so, uh, if you're within a 30 some odd minute radius, you are probably going to be in good company. So, um, yeah, we'd love to have anyone who's awesome awesome well kurt thank you again so much we appreciate it yeah. this will be hopefully one of many in the future and uh for everyone listening check out everything kurt had mentioned we'll post some additional notes uh in the show notes and additional resources books etc but thanks again man for, for joining oh, the lady podcast we appreciate it's honestly it. honestly an honor i can't wait to do it again yeah fantastic well, let's, yeah let's do it all right, Kurt. Awesome. Well, I'm going to stop hitting record. We'll hang on for 30 seconds after. But everyone sure. listening, thanks so much for tuning in. Feel free to subscribe if you haven't uh, on iTunes and beyond. And uh, looking forward to the next one. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye.